New video of a violent arrest in Kelowna. You don't know in a situation how bad it can really escalate. Why the man who recorded it is compelled to come forward now. New COVID modeling data. I am hoping myself to be able to travel very soon. How soon we could get to phase three freedoms. You want a chocolate? And a sweet gesture turns sour. These members are getting a box of chocolate? Yeah, wouldn't you be a bit insulted by that? What BC liquor store workers would rather receive instead. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Another witness video has emerged showing a Kelowna RCMP officer punching a man several times during an arrest. A previous video of the incident, which happened in the city's downtown on Saturday, has triggered what police are calling a thorough internal review. John Hua reports tonight and warning some of the images in this story are disturbing. I just wanted to make sure that I had something on film for somebody to have justice if it's needed. At the first sign of commotion, Tyson Gillies felt compelled to pull out a camera. We see two officers um, trying to apprehend a suspect there. They're kind of, you know, going back and forth for a couple minutes. What Gillies caught on tape next involving a third Kelowna RCMP officer, he says was hard to watch. He gets out of the car, runs directly to, you know, the scene of action, and he just starts swinging. Another witness video that shows a different angle of the officer delivering repeated blows to the allegedly intoxicated suspect whoa, 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 whoa. has already triggered an internal RCMP investigation. He observed that the man was still resisting arrest. In order to gain control of the situation, he was struck several times and then taken to the ground. Gilly says what he saw in that Kelowna parking lot is proof. Worries over excessive force used by police. I can breathe. In the wake of the death of George Floyd is a concern in Canada as well. To see that in your own backyard, um, it caught me by surprise. But being a witness to this incident opened an old wound involving police. Playing baseball in Florida 10 years ago, he alleges a courtesy ride with law enforcement led to a set-up drug charge that was eventually dropped. To have that happen to me, you know, I, I was devastated. You know, I was devastated for myself, uh, my family, my team. While there's no indication the Kelowna incident was racially motivated, Gilly says this is about wearing the badge and respecting people's basic rights. We still have human rights, we still need to be civil, and we still need to feel like we're safe. Despite releasing the video, Gilly says he will reserve his final judgment about the RCMP officer's actions until after the internal investigation is complete. John Hua, Global News. Now, it has been an emotionally charged day in Minneapolis. Mourners gathered to celebrate the life of George Floyd as they said goodbye. The first in a series of memorials across three cities as three of the former Minneapolis police officers charged in connection with Floyd's death make their first court appearance. Aaron MacArthur reports. Amazing grace. George Floyd's family beginning the process of grieving in a Minneapolis service. For the first time since the man's death, there is a sense, too, the country has begun to process its collective rage. The message for justice resonating more clearly than it has 
in 40 years. It's time for us to stand up in Georgia's name and say, get your knee off our necks. Across the country, peaceful protests continued for a 10th straight day, including in Richmond, Virginia. A symbolic gesture there, a Confederate statue of Robert E. Lee ordered removed. It is about making sure our society works for us all, period. Power to the people. Not just my people, I'm talking about power to the people. All of us. The demands for change being felt in the halls of the U.S. Capitol. As the White House resembles a fortified bunker, former senior staffers and Republican lawmakers distancing themselves from the president. Senators seemingly taking the message to heart, pausing, some on one knee, for eight minutes and 46 seconds of silence. There are still tensions between police and protesters. New York cops using batons to enforce curfew overnight Wednesday. And in New Orleans, protesters were gassed as they crossed a bridge. But with the arrests made of all four officers on scene at Floyd's death and the promise of a thorough investigation, there might finally be a way to end the turmoil that has gripped the United States for nearly two weeks. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Now, some interesting new COVID-19 data today from provincial health officials. First, let's take a look at the cases. And we have nine new cases for a total now of 2,632. Now, the good news, no new deaths. And that means the total stays at 166. We have 26 people in hospital, six in ICU. 2,265 people have fully recovered, which means we now have 201 active cases. There is also one new outbreak at the Beresford Warming Center, a shelter in Burnaby. And we are getting a better idea of how COVID-19 spreads throughout the province and where it came from. New modeling projections released today show three health authorities are now fully cleared of the virus. Richard Zussman has a deeper dive into the numbers and what they show. We have known for months COVID-19 has impacted every corner of the province. We now know more specifically exactly where. At the lower mainland was disproportionately affected by COVID-19 um, with the outbreaks that we've had in long-term care. The province releasing data on Thursday showing for the first time cases by health service delivery and not the much larger health authority. From the province's first COVID-19 case until the end of May, there have been 540 cases in the city of Vancouver and 523 cases in Fraser South, including Delta and Surrey. For May 18th and May 31st, the trends change a bit. 57 cases in Fraser South, 46 in Fraser East, including Abbotsford, and none in Richmond, a city that braced early for the virus due to cases in China. We talked about it in, uh, in January and February, about community activities to support people coming from China to self-isolate. As for where COVID-19 has come from, Washington State accounting for a few hundred cases, while cases from other places in Canada and Europe dominating the spread. One crucial reason, those attending the Pacific Dental Conference in early March. It was certainly um, an event that seeded a number of different areas of the province um, at a critical time when we were also um, getting a lot of transmission related to uh, travel back and forth across our borders. 
Some good news Tuesday. There are now no new active cases in Northern Health, Island Health, and Interior Health. But still, health officials are once again warning British Columbians to go slowly, showing a likely resurgence in cases if people move back to their old behaviors too quickly, especially when approaching 80% of normal contact. So if our contact rate increases to 70%, we are likely to see a, a rapid growth. And 80%, we might see a rapid rebound in transmission in a very short period of time. But a surge like that is not inevitable. Dr. Henry going as far as saying if we continue following the guidelines, we could be entering the next phase of recovery in the next few weeks. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, let's bring in Keith Baldry now. And I want to go back to the number of new infections there, Keith. The province mm-hmm. is reporting nine, but today it involves a little bit of fuzzy math. Maybe you can clarify it for us. Yeah, there's a new counting method going forward. So it's five new cases overnight from yesterday to today. Four more cases have been added, and these are what are called epi-linked cases. People are presumed to have the virus because they're in close contact with people who have it, but they haven't tested positively yet or they haven't been tested. And that's going to be the new policy going forward to get a better read of exactly how many people really have this virus out there by starting to count some of the people around the people who have tested positive. As we get out, we begin coming out of our lockdown uh, or restrictive measures. And this began on the day that we came out of uh, restrictive measures on May 19th. And that's going to be the new accounting system going forward. Okay. And the new modeling data we saw today about where the virus is coming from and how it's spreading through the community. What does it mean for phase three coming up? Yes, everybody talks about phase three. Just a reminder what phase three is, folks. Here's a list of some of the things that would start opening up under phase three. First of all, more parks would open. A lot of them are still remaining closed. Uh, camping would resume. Film and TV production activities would begin. Movie theaters would open up. Personal services such as spas and non-medical massage would also open for business. And finally, hotels and resorts would get the green light to open. That means you could travel. When is this going to happen? Dr. Bonnie Henry again saying she wants to see the numbers on a, on a fairly lengthy basis two incubation periods so she puts the potential phase three uh, opening later this month here's the doctor i'll never put a date on it because it, it much of it depends on what we do um, but we are very hopeful that we'll be moving into our next phase um, in uh, you know come the middle of june into july um, I am hoping myself to be able to travel very soon and, you know, and looking at booking in July. And I think this is where we, we need to in, encourage and we need to find that balance with communities. So there you go. Hopefully it's mid-June. Now that's the last briefing for a while from Dr. Bonnie Henry and Adrian Ix. They're taking tomorrow, uh, standing down tomorrow. But Dr. Henry will not have one on Saturday, which means we're back at it on Monday next week. Chris? All right. Thank you, Keith. Well, BC's ability to perform COVID-19 tests is getting a big boost. This machine, a Roche Cobus 6800 analyzer, is now being put to work at Surrey Memorial Hospital. The fully automated machine is able to test as many as 1,000 samples a day for the virus. The Swiss-made system was traditionally used for HIV and hepatitis B testing, but a COVID-19 test was quickly developed earlier this year. So BC can now perform about 8,500 COVID-19 tests per day. It was one week ago today the body of Gavin Deloys was found in a Burnaby Park. He'd wandered away from Royal Columbian Hospital a few days before where he'd been treated for a head injury after a car crash. Now we're learning about another eerily similar case from a man who lived it. Catherine Urquhart has the details. 
No, this shouldn't happen to another person ever again. 36-year-old Nicholas Turnbull is recovering from a traumatic brain injury. He suffered a brain bleed and broken ribs during a car crash in Mission April 3rd and was airlifted to Royal Columbian Hospital. I got hit hard and I blacked out. The, the, there's no memory from days before and it's a big blur for a month after. Five days after, still afflicted with delirium and amnesia, he walked out of the hospital. Later that day, two Good Samaritans found him wandering in the Home Depot on United Boulevard, about four kilometres away. Turnbull says he was stunned to see the recent story about Gavin Deloise. The least they could have done was call us. A massive search was launched for Deloise after he walked out of Royal Columbian Hospital May 24th. The 41-year-old had also suffered a brain injury in a car crash. Days after, the Burnaby man's body was discovered in a wooded area in Burnaby. To hear that he went through a car accident, to hear that everything played out basically the same, but he ended up walking in the forest brought a whole nother level of confusion. Global News asked Fraser Health what efforts are made to ensure brain-injured patients don't wander off. And also, how often does this occur? Fraser Health said it was unable to provide a statement or interview by deadline. The fact that the hospital, after having me come back, didn't step up their game to make sure that this didn't happen to anybody else is a joke. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Homicide investigators have been called to a suspicious death in Surrey. RCMP say an injured woman in her early 40s was brought to Surrey Memorial Hospital just after 3 Tuesday morning, but died shortly after. IHIT is now involved and investigators remain at a property on 108th and 138th Street that's connected to the incident. No arrests have been made and police do not believe this to be a random act. Homeless advocates returned to court today trying to stop the Vancouver Fraser Port Authority from dismantling the growing tent city that's popped up next to Crab Park in Vancouver. It started after Oppenheimer Park was cleared out. Ramina Dea has more on the day's proceedings and why campers say they should be allowed to stay. 80 tents and counting. The tent city illegal. But campers say they have nowhere else to go. We, that's all we're asking is for a home. It's not much. Hey? Like, we're supposed to be the richest country in the world, and yet we have more homeless than a lot of the cities. This is not a park. It's private property, say lawyers for the Port Authority. The port seeking an injunction to remove the campers from their parking lot adjacent to Crab Park. Arguing in B.C. Supreme Court, the situation is deteriorating. Urination, defecation, needles, COVID-19 concerns, noise, garbage, etc., etc. Residents also concerned. Now I can see it out of my window. Yes. <laughs> and last night they were making loud noises for about two and a half or three hours. Well, they just moved them from one spot to another. So they make it an injunction here and... They'll go somewhere else. And by moving it, it just allows them to just relocate or to kind of spread out and establish themselves anywhere else in the city. Lawyers for the defendants say despite a recent overdose death, 
the encampment is safer than what BC Housing is offering. They claim campers are not sidestepping ministerial orders. By moving to the port property after the tent city at Oppenheimer Park was dismantled. BC Housing has since found homes for more than 250 people. I'm here because it's safe. I, every other camp that I've stayed at, like downtown area, I get rolled on by young gangster type fellows. If the injunction is granted, it's essentially another warning, another step in the process. Chief Justice Hinkson questioning why the police can't enforce it if he decides to go ahead with an order. The case is expected to continue on Tuesday. Romina Dea, Global News. Victoria is wrestling with a homeless problem of its own. Despite purchasing two hotels and converting a hockey arena into space for the homeless, there are still at least two growing tent cities around the provincial capital. And now, as Brad McLeod reports, one city councillor is warning the government's efforts could end up making the problem worse. The effort to house Victoria's most vulnerable during COVID, unprecedented. Wow, you know, they housed 344 in eight, since April 25th. But getting there has been confusing and seemingly just scratching the surface. Initially, three parks were put up to help socially distance people. But only Topaz Park worked. Meanwhile, Pandora Avenue downtown packed. The emergency deadline to clear the two locations by May 9th was never met. But weeks later, blue fences are up and hundreds have been housed. I think what made it more challenging in Victoria is the housing sites that we negotiated came on in a staggered fashion. The Comfort Inn purchased by the province for $18.5 million. The iconic Paul's Motor Inn just grabbed for $15 million. Well, I'm afraid it'll be a bottomless pit of spending. City Councillor Jeff Young concerned after council recently pledged $300,000 for city staff to rent out as many motel rooms as they could for homeless people. Mayor Lisa Helps wasn't at that vote and has maintained the city isn't in the business of finding homes. I don't want to say that council's motion is only symbolic, um, but I think uh, we're going to be hard-pressed to find uh, not only any extra motel rooms, uh, but in particular the support services needed for people moving into them. So far the city has not found any suitable rooms. Soon after Topaz and Pandora were cleared, the city gave campers the green light to live at Beacon Hill Park. Then this encampment not many are referencing in an industrial area. To some degree, we're creating an, an attractive environment for people to camp in. Young believes it's drawing people from across the country. When we, we look at the data that we compile from our point-in-time count, the majority of the individuals are from the, their home community. Despite the Herculean efforts by advocates and volunteers, only a fraction of the estimated 1,500 homeless in the capital region have been housed so far. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. An attempt to thank employees for working through the pandemic isn't going over exactly as intended. The BC Liquor Distribution Branch came up with the idea of a box of chocolates for its essential workers. Why they say the gift is insulting in just over a minute. Stunning video from Norway where an entire neighborhood slides into the sea. What may have caused it coming up on the news hour. And a startling development in the case of young Madeline McCann, who disappeared as a child 13 years ago. That's coming up later. Right now, though, some workers who are deemed essential during the pandemic are getting a boost in pay. But not everyone is getting a bonus like that. The BC Liquor Distribution Branch came up with an idea to show appreciation to its staff. 
offering a small box of chocolates instead. And it's not going over too well. Ted Trenecki has the details. Do you want a chocolate? It's been 26 years since the movie Forrest Gump added these now famous words to the national vernacular. And today, as we learn that the BC Liquor Distribution Branch is wanting to buy 4,400 boxes of chocolates in appreciation for its frontline workers, this gumpism seems to apply. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. What they might get, as the request for proposals indicates, are four chocolates per box, two have to have caramel, and a truffle or cream-filled chocolate in an attractive box with a sticker and decorated ribbon. You know, every other essential frontline worker in the public service is getting a 16-week lump sum thank you uh, in terms of wages. Uh, we know that there are private liquor stores that are offering their employees wage top-ups and these members are getting a box of chocolate. Um, yeah, wouldn't you be a bit insulted by that? Healthcare, social services, and corrections frontline staff all got about $4 an hour more for 16 weeks, handed to them as a lump sum payment that averaged out to about $2,200 each because they were deemed essential services. But the BCGU says so too were liquor store workers. They were deemed essential right from the beginning. They worked in unbelievable conditions. You know, there was panic buying. There were no safety measures put in place. In fact, grocery stores and pharmacies got those safety measures before our LDB members did. And the LDB is recording record profits because of the amount of purchasing that's been happening. The liquor distribution branch returned our call very late, saying the chocolates are part of Civic Worker Appreciation Week. It says they do something small every year to say thanks. Global News. Loyal Army and Navy customers lined up one last time to get in on one of the store's famous sales. Yay, made it! <laughs> the bargain chain threw open its doors in New Westminster this morning for a final liquidation sale. Not just shoes, but everything in the store has been marked down as the company tries to empty the racks. The 101-year-old business recently announced it was closing due to financial issues blamed on the pandemic. One of the best places to get camping supplies. I'll miss it. Up ahead, time to take a second look at the school curriculum. I think it's long overdue. How current events like the Black Lives Matter movement could shape what's taught in classrooms. Also tonight, a warning about ticks and why you don't want to get one on you. Traffic is in good shape over here at the Patello Bridge. Minimal delays northbound and just pockets of volume southbound on McBride through the Queen's Park stretch. Banks securely from anywhere, anytime with CIBC, whether it's paying bills, depositing checks, or transferring money in Canada and around the world. With CIBC, you can do it all 24-7. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at Patello Bridge. It's long overdue. That's the sentiment from members of B.C.'s black community now that the education minister has asked the B.C. Black History Association to consult on the school curriculum. It's all in light of the widespread protests following the in-custody death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Nadia Stewart reports. I have a little sister who's experiencing racism in school and she's in grade three. Mark Yale Simpson says what black children in B.C. deal with now is the same thing he faced as a student, a curriculum that does not fully reflect them. 
something he and others have been calling on the Ministry of Education to change. A decolonization of education in general, where those who had been oppressed, such as black folks um, and indigenous peoples are finally being showcased as contributors to our society. Given what's happening south of the border and protests here at home. I have written to the BC Black Historical Awareness Association. The province's education minister says they are looking at the curriculum, acknowledging systemic racism and their need to confront it. We want to work uh, as a government uh, with the Minister of Multiculturalism, with the, with the Premier and others. Uh, to make sure that uh, we are uh, being uh, inclusive, that we are tackling systemic racism in all its forms. I hear what people say, but what is most important is what they do. Vancouver's first black school board trustee, Sadie Keene, says the absence of representation in the curriculum has a deep impact on children. The difference of being able to see yourself reflected and the impact that makes on you in terms of validating who you are and, and saying that you are important and valued and present. On Twitter, Simpson encouraged British Columbians to write the ministry, asking for a Canadian black history curriculum and a database to track incidents of racism in BC schools. Well, they're vocally supporting ending anti-black racism and racism in general, and I'm hoping that they take concrete steps to implementing solutions. Anything less, he says, won't do. Nadia Stark, Global News. We're going to stay on that theme because calls to end racism have taken many forms, from people filling streets around the world in protest to posts on social media. Conversations about the reality of racism in our daily lives have to happen. But there's a difference between talk and action. Abigail Beeman takes a look at the concrete steps that could stop racism in Canada. Warren Clark is studying the experiences of young black men in employment training programs for his PhD. He hears about racism a lot, and he also lives with it. It happens regularly enough where it's, it's disgusting. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll give an example. You know, since I moved to Ottawa, I've been pulled over by police more than 20 times, easily. Clark says in order to see systemic change, we need to first acknowledge the system. Everything we do, what we learn through education, what we, we, how we behave is through whiteness. Ralston King is the first black city councillor in Ottawa, elected only last year. It's going to take a long period of time to, to address it. But the key is ensuring that we start to address it and we start to really build uh, the tools that can address uh, racism within our institutions. One of those tools, the City of Ottawa's anti-racism secretariat, focused on equality, everything from health to housing to employment. The federal government launched a similar one in 2019. This week, the federal New Democrat leader made specific calls for more action, an end to over-incarceration of black and indigenous people and an end to racial profiling. There could be clear legislation banning that practice from the RCMP, CSIS, border security. The Liberal government tells Global News discrimination in the public service is illegal under the Charter, and it's been working to make changes to the justice system to break the cycle of criminality. There is more that we need to do as a country and as a government 
and we will be acting. We'll have more to say about this. Warren Clark supports Singh's ideas, but says the focus needs to be more broad than policing. We need to focus on the, impart- on the, the problem holistically. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Ottawa. Up next, a safer way to worship. What one church is doing to warn visitors if they're committing a social distancing sin. And the landslide that wiped out a whole neighborhood without a single injury. Counterflow is out over here at the Mass Sea Tunnel after a busy afternoon. Traffic is eased off in both directions. Bank securely from anywhere, anytime with CIBC, whether it's paying bills, depositing checks, or transferring money in Canada and around the world. With CIBC, you can do it all 24-7. I'm Trish Jewison and Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Amazing video now, that landslide in a village in northern Norway. Within minutes, a chunk of land, nearly half a kilometer wide, takes eight houses out into the sea. Several minor landslides followed. The reason for the landslide isn't entirely clear, but there is a lot of quick clay in the region, which leads to unstable soil. It is under investigation. Remarkably, no one was injured. New developments in the disappearance of Madeleine McCann 13 years ago. Officials now believe the British girl is dead. McCann went missing in 2007 while on vacation with her family in Portugal. She was just three years old at the time. A 43-year-old German national is being investigated in connection with the case. The imprisoned child abuser lived near the resort around the time of Madeleine McCann's disappearance. The child's body has not been found. A 26-year-old Indigenous woman from B.C. has died after being shot by police in northwestern New Brunswick. Chantelle Moore had only recently moved to Edmonston from Port Alberni. And despite how police described the events that led to her death, Chantelle's family still has questions. Global's Cami Kepke reports. Family members say Chantelle Moore moved from Vancouver Island to Edmonston, New Brunswick, looking for new opportunities. She's looking forward to starting her new life. Instead, her relatives are mourning the 26-year-old's death in an officer-involved shooting. Edmonston police say early Thursday morning they were called to her apartment to check on Moore because she was being harassed over social media. The woman in question just uh, opened the door and uh, attacked the, the, the officer went after the officer with a knife in her hand. So the officer had uh, no choice to back up and to use his firearm to protect himself. Moore was pronounced dead at the scene. Police aren't saying how many shots were fired and aren't identifying her, though several relatives have. I was in shock until about 7 o'clock, and then I just broke down. I just melted. Her father, Eugene, who lives in Calgary, says Chantel had recently moved to the northwestern New Brunswick city and had already found two jobs and a place to live. He says she was holding a housewarming party the night she died. A single mom just getting her feet under her, escaping addiction from Vancouver Island, moving to New Brunswick to start a new life, and it was working out for her. Moore leaves behind a young daughter. Her father says he doesn't blame the officer, but he would like to talk to him. He could phone me. We could talk about it because he would be able to tell me something that maybe I didn't know. You know, it would help complete the picture for me. The officer involved has not been suspended, but the Edmonston Police Force says he won't be at work in the coming days. A team of eight officers with the Quebec Office of Independent Investigations is now looking into the shooting. In Calgary, Cami Kepke, Global News. 
In Health Matters tonight, a warning to anyone enjoying the great outdoors right now, particularly if you are heading to reopened provincial parks, be on the lookout for ticks. Greg Jenkins recently noticed he'd been bitten by a tick. He suspects it happened while he was golfing. Fortunately, he saw the doctor quickly, was prescribed antibiotics, and he has not suffered side effects like contracting Lyme disease. Experts say wear protective light clothing or slap on some topical repellent so you don't expose your skin to the ticks, which are often in tall grass. Definitely, I, I would think about it a little more. I, in the past, I've been a little bit concerned about ticks, but I don't know, I guess... Until now, I never really put a hell of a lot of thought into it. They're nasty. Uh, we don't like being bitten by them. They feed on us for a whole bunch of time, sometimes days. Uh, their bites can itch. Sometimes the saliva in their bites can cause reactions that aren't nice. And of course, they can transmit pathogens that can cause disease. So things like the bacteria that cause Lyme disease. If you suspect you've been bitten, it's best to get the insect off as fast as you can before consulting a doctor. Up ahead, signs of hope. I think it's a good positive message. How young students are battling the bad news and negativity they see in the world today. And later in sports, Finn hits a milestone. What your favorite mascot is doing to celebrate his 19th birthday. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Italy's iconic Cathedral of Santa Maria has introduced a new gadget. Why visitors are praying it doesn't go off right after Christie's forecast. And let's check in with her in the great outdoors right now. A little cool, a little wet, and a little bit like January for the last few, few days, I think, Christy. Well, hi guys. I, you know what? It turned out to be a beautiful day today. After wet weather this morning, that's for sure. Uh, we saw a nice day though across much of the province. Lots of people sending me photos. Let's have a look at them. This one from John Boothwood. Uh, this is Vasso Lake and another one of Rice Lake. So yes, certainly some blue sky after the rainfall we saw today, but there were a number of thunderstorms across the region. So it's a good time to just give you a quick update on some rules of thumb. So in general, uh, if you hear thunder, it is best to take shelter go inside or maybe a car if you don't have the ability to go inside of a house. One mile is about five seconds between the time you see the lightning flash and the time you hear the thunder. So good rule of thumb is actually 30-30. If there's 30 seconds between that lightning strike and you hearing the thunder, it is best to suspend outdoor activities for 30 minutes. You actually have a chance of being struck by lightning even if it's 30 seconds away. Now, as we head into tomorrow, another system set to push in. A chance of showers for Metro Vancouver in the afternoon, but it's more likely that we'll start to see that moisture in the evening. Although, there will be a number of areas in southern BC that will start to see it in the afternoon. So starting off dry tomorrow for southern BC, but you will start to see that rainfall later on. So increasing cloud, and we'll certainly see that here across the Metro Vancouver region. And that takes us into our weekend, everyone. So Saturday starting off wet. I'm keeping our fingers crossed for 
for or my fingers crossed for breaks of blue sky late Saturday so that's late afternoon I think you'll finally get you a little bit of a break and Sunday not looking too bad at all and I'll leave you with one last beautiful shot of salmon arm you can see some blue sky and clouds in the background uh, that is the case across much of the province today okay back to you guys thank right. you Christy well, with lockdown measures easing in Europe, one Italian tourist attraction is enticing visitors back with an innovative physical distancing gadget. The iconic Cathedral of Santa Maria in Florence has introduced a vibrating necklace. The device is handed out at the entrance to each visitor following a temperature check. When two people within the church approach and get within two meters of each other, the device will beep, it'll vibrate and turn red. The technology was initially being used to warn truck drivers if pedestrians got too close. We should Effective. wear that here on the set. Right? <laughs> it might be going off. I don't know. It's pretty cool. <laughs> All right. Uh, Squire is here now. There's a birthday in the Canucks organization. There is a birthday in the Canucks organization. We were actually at the party today. And that birthday was for one of the most popular Canucks. Well, it was Vincent's birthday a little while ago, but today it's Finn's. He is 19 years old as the Canucks mascot. Happy birthday, Finn, and have current events got you down? These students have something to lift you up. Still holding out hope for co um, coffee. <laughs> yes, that that's you. Do you need coffee? I apparently I do, but hockey. I can go get you one. Hockey. <laughs> oh, okay. Let me do this first, and I'll get you one. Thanks. Would you like cream and sugar? A little bit of 2% milk, please. Okay. Thanks. Uh, the NHL has figured out how this 24-team playoff format will work when they hopefully return in July and then play in August. Of course, They'll have to do the training camps first before they do any games. But the biggest question was, how long will each playoff series be? Would they shorten them from the normal best of sevens? Now, the answer is, aside from the play-in series, they will not shorten them. They will stay as they always have. The players and the owners agreed on this. So the play-in series, which is why there are 24 teams, the Canucks are in one of those against Minnesota. They will be best of five. Once you get into the final 16, it'll be like always. They'll be best of sevens. Uh, teams will be seeded each round, depending on how they did in the regular season. And they're not going to be locked into a strict bracket. But the NHL still has some things to work out, like which cities are going to host these games. They want two hub cities. They haven't come up with any answers on that yet. When the playoffs will start. And they have some medical things to figure out as well. Well, today... One of the most popular Canucks had a birthday. And we aren't talking about any of the players that are currently on their roster. But we do mean someone who wears the uniform and has been one of their most popular members since he was, I guess you could say, first drafted by the team way back in 2001. Happy birthday to you. Finn has turned 19 years old. We aren't sure what that is in whale years, but we do know he was born close by. 
And also, he's the Canuck who logs the most minutes every season. Finn is always so important to the organization, but he's he's been the MVP so far here in this in this um, pandemic for us when it comes to connecting with our fans. During the NHL's pause, Finn has ramped up his appearances by doing drive-by birthday greetings. He's become the face of the Canucks with the players out of action. But to a lot of younger fans, he really is the most recognizable Canuck. I've seen him walk around with a lot of our high-profile players, and I tell you, those kids are drawn to Finn many times before they're drawn to a player. So much so that Finn is always a key part of a children's hospital visit, and he's a favorite at Canuck Place. Finn is a highlight for our families. He is, uh, brings joy, he brings light, he brings love. Finn became a Vancouver Canuck 19 years ago after staff convinced then-GM Brian Burke the team needed a mascot. You know, there was resistance. I don't know if Brian Burke originally might not have been in favor of it, but really warmed up to it after a while. And, uh, you know, the games have never been the same since Finn's been there. It's been great. On average, Finn makes around 200 appearances per year for the Canucks. But lately, he's done more than just birthday visits. In the last few months, he's also stopped at hospitals to lead cheers for frontline workers. It's amazing that a human dressed up in this, you know, orca getup, right, has such, um, such a following in this province. Finn is the hardest working mascot, I think, in the NHL, but I'm very biased. He lives and breathes it. He has a true passion. Finn is the greatest. He would have done an interview with us, but he said he'd only do it if I went out to the Georgia Strait and swam with him. (laughs) Wasn't how. I just couldn't do it. I can't hold my breath that long. The uh, NBA and its players have voted yes on a 22-team play-in and playoff format to finish off their season. Unlike the NHL, they actually do have a date for a restart, July 31st, and a place to play, Disney World in Orlando, which has a big enough complex to house all the teams. All clubs will go down to Orlando for training camp as well, and that'll start on July 11th. There you go. Happy birthday, Finn. All right. Happy birthday, Finn, indeed. Thanks, Squire. Up next, tonight's healthcare hero and a school project giving us hope during this pandemic. Moment now to recognize another one of our BC healthcare heroes. And tonight's nomination comes to us from Corey Funk, who wanted to recognize a co worker. Dr. Mike Norbury has been working tirelessly on COVID 19 issues since the beginning of the pandemic, every day, seven days a week, at the Ravensong Primary Care Clinic in Vancouver. He was redeployed to the Emergency Operations Center, a committee that met to develop workflows policies and publications for COVID-19 responses within the Vancouver Coastal Health Region. And he just recently returned to the clinic, getting back to his passion of helping others. Mike works with Vancouver's disenfranchised population. As a medical director, it's not expected that he continue to see clients on the front line, and yet he does because of his dedication and commitment to health care. Corey says, despite Mike's very long days involving many moving parts during this pandemic, he remains positive, spreading his optimism with staff and patients, and he never shies away from a challenge. So, Dr. Mike Norbury, thank you for being a BC healthcare hero. 
And thank you, Corey, for a great nomination today. And again, if you have a healthcare hero you'd like to nominate, send your email with a few pictures and a story about why they are your nominee. Send that to bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca. Thank you, Mike. Well, 2020 is off to a rough start, to put it mildly, and finding signs of hope right now can be pretty tough. But a teacher and his students in Coquitlam have embarked on a new project hoping to make spreading positivity and inspiration a little easier. The Trabalé Poco Trail is a place where a lot of people walk, bike and escape from all of the troubles we're facing. Now, signs of hope are also popping up. The signs are the idea of Cherry Fox Secondary Tech Education teacher Pete Herdy. Kids drew up uh, and painted these uh, signs here and kind of, you know, to give back to the community a little bit. He felt we all needed a boost and decided to enlist staff and students in a project. I think it's a good positive message, especially with all the negativity that's like in the world and on the media right now. Shop class cut the lumber and all sorts of other Terry Fox students did the painting. I hope people feel like when they look at the signs, I hope they feel um, positive and I hope that it brings them joy in the day. It took about a week to have them ready, then a bit longer to get city approval to install them along 22 kilometers of the trail. People have been going out to nature more often and I think if just seeing a sign or a poster that's painted and has like a positive message, you kind of feel, um, you feel thought about and you feel cared about in your community. The tech ed teacher feels it's a project about building hearts. Especially at a time when we have so much hatred and racism going on in the news, and I want to put a message out there, something a little more uh, positive. The students feel it's time for even a little bit of positive news. Right now, it's the little stuff that matters the most because we aren't able to do big things. Ted Field, Global News. Boy, do we ever need some positivity these oh. days. That's a perfect way to end the show. Thank you very much to those three and their teacher and all the kids at Terry Fox and, and all the kids who have hearts and rainbows yeah. in their windows. It's been really something to see it in our neighborhood, too. Speaking of positivity, the 7 o'clock cheer starts in just a few seconds. Happy banging. Have a great night, everybody. Good night, all. <laughs>